Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to a Monday night edition of the Chase Thomas podcast. I am still the aforementioned Chase Thomas, and I am joined by a first timer back in my home state, Christopher Walt, known on Twitter as just Walt of Lakers Outsiders, Chris Walt. Whichever one we didn't talk about before we got started, how are you doing, man? I'm good, man. I'm good. How about yourself? Pretty good. Pretty good. So what do you go by? What What do you go by, man? Man, Walt, Chris. Uh, <laughs> some people call me by my Twitter handle. Uh-huh. Uh, it, it all depends. It, uh, it really don't matter, to be honest. Um. So I saw you went to Albany State. Is that right? Yeah, man. Went to Albany State down in uh, southwest Georgia. Do you the good know? old Golden Rams. Okay. Do you, do you know Rashard Lofton? Sure, I loved it. Did he play a sport? He played basketball. Yes. <laughs> I went to high school with him. That's cool. He's also a big oh, Lakers fan. That's what's and up, went to Albany State. He started like Waycross, and then I think he moved on to Albany State. Um, but yeah, that uh, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, and Bobby Glover. I think I also. Yep. Do you know him too? Yep, know him too. That's uh, when you said. I was like, yeah, I heard that name before, and I know they play a sport. So yeah, that's that's cool, man. Small world, small world. Um, well, thanks for doing this, man. I'm excited because there's a lot of NBA stuff that uh, is going on right now that I wanted to uh, bounce around with you this evening. Um, some things I want to touch on: the Sixers not making a major move before the deadline. Um, if there actually is a buyout market problem brewing in the NBA, and then some post trade deadline risers and sinkers i have my list more risers surprisingly enough i feel like sometimes (laughs) i'm a little too a little too negative sometimes and i actually am pretty positive about a lot of people right now so that makes the playoff time a lot more fun i think if i'm pretty optimistic about uh, a lot of these teams i don't know where you're at but we'll find out we'll find out um first thing the sixers um for them not to ultimately give up a lot of capital which seems like that would have been the case. It depends on who you believe. Um, it depends on if you believe Masai. It depends on if you believe uh, what rumors were about the package. It mm-hmm. depends on what you believe. Like We may never know why Kyle Lowry ultimately remained in Toronto past the deadline. I'm going to guess that it was probably a little bit of everything. Um, yep. I think this also just means that Daryl Morey really wants to see what Tobias, Joel, and Ben Simmons do in the playoffs with this group. They're the number one team in the East. And the way he looks at it maybe is that like, we have a bunch of depth. We have a bunch of good pieces. Joel is playing at an MVP level. Let's not rock this too much. Let's not throw a potential wrench because Kyle Lowry is awesome, but they are going to have to fundamentally change how they play basketball. If they have to acclimate Kyle Lowry into this rotation and what they're doing right now works. They have an identity. They know who they are. Um, Maybe that is really what it is. And Tobias just being LA Clipper Tobias has been great for them. Um, <laughs> what do you what do you make of the Sixers not making a major move at the deadline? Well, for me, I think it came down to the cost of doing business with the Raptors and what the Raptors, you know, like you said, the the packages, it's uh, it's a lot of different. Um, you know, iterations of the package that they wanted for Kyle Lowry, but the one that I. I think that was on the table was uh Tyrese Maxey, Matisse mm-hmm. Thibault, and then two first rounders. And that that is a lot to pay for a 35-year-old Kyle Lowry with 
him going into free agency and, you know, him looking for an extension when he did, you know, get traded. And um, they were able to go and get George Hill for way cheaper and bring in you know, another veteran with a lot of playoff experience. George Hill basically been in the playoffs every year of his career. Mm-hmm. Great three-point shooter, which adds to the arsenal they already have with Danny Green shooting well this season, Tobias Harris shooting well, um, Seth Curry as well. And they're going to add that into their defensive identity because George Hill is someone who can come in and just contribute to your team defense. And um, I think at the end of the day, it was all about just the price that the Raptors wanted everybody to play who they were negotiating with, whether it was the Miami Heat, whether it was the Sixers, with the Lakers, and whoever else, you know, entertained the package before the trade deadline that we didn't get to hear about. So I think bringing in Lowry would have definitely helped them because they, the challenge for them, like you just talked about, is getting Joel Embiid going and what has Ben Simmons going to do about not being able to space the floor in the playoffs and can Ben Simmons get them into their offense in the half court and get the flow of the game going for them. Um, especially now they basically put all their faith into him. So that's going to be the biggest challenge that they face going into the playoffs. Yeah, I think it's a fair gamble because I don't think they really lose anything if they reach the Eastern Conference Finals and get knocked out by the Nets in a brutal six-game series or something like that. Or we get to see, like, I want to see what happens with the Nets with the way they're configured versus the Sixers because I don't know what the Nets throw at um, at Joel Embiid. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. Um, I know where Ben Simmons is going. I know what they're going to do with Joel Embiid. I know who's going to be on Tobias. I have no mm-hmm. idea what the Nets are going to do about Joel Embiid. I, I'm dying to see that. That's what I hope we get in the Eastern Conference Finals. But we'll see. Um, Tobias is just really good, and I just don't know if people are paying attention to what he has been because we've seen this before in flashes and this is what he was in LA with Gallinari when he was that lead point forward before Kawhi before all that he was fun it was him and Boban and they were they were good and he was really good at just navigating the pick and roll he's really good at cutting he's really good at just doing the little things like he's a really good rebounder he's a really good shooter he's a really good passer he just does everything you want to do for this group as a lead ball handler so maybe they were like we don't need Kyle Lowry because we have we're gonna bet on Tobias this year we're gonna he's earned the right to try and be a co-closer with Joel and Ben just (laughs) Ben is so interesting and so much fun to watch and Seth Curry just shooting lights out and Shake Milton has just been really good off the bench for them. He like he's a really good backup, and Furcon just finding open threes from Ben Simmons and Tobias just mm-hmm. happens every game. Um, the Sixers yep. just work. So when you watch it, you're like they are just a regular season machine, but they also just have maybe the favorite for the MVP, and it's just like maybe that this is enough. Maybe they don't need a yeah. Kyle Lowry to get over the top, right? Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, you you got Shake Milton and you got Seth Curry, mm-hmm. and you don't want to especially in this kind of season, have to build on the fly when you're talking about bringing someone in and basically shifting out starters because Danny Green was also a part of that package too that was going to go out. So, you know, you it's hard to make that up on the fly during this kind of season. And you might as well just keep what you got. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Number one in the East, you just got to get NBA healthy. And then you're back in business. I I agree. I I want to see what it looks like, and I just I'm really fascinated to see. Um, do you do you believe um, 
that there is a buyout problem brewing in basketball because there was a good piece today and uh, I can tell why you're laughing that you're not uh, not a believer uh, because some small market GMs are reportedly upset uh, per Howard Beck's good piece in uh, SI uh, today. Um, the thing about this is I don't, it sounds like bad faith. Like I am, I don't know about you, but I have found myself way more annoyed at the Al Horford situation in uh, OKC, but also I was more annoyed at just the Cavs being able to sit Drummond while they found a trade and like the Pistons sitting Blake. Like that is more of a just slap in the face of the, and I'm sure these guys want to sit and rest and everything else, but like, man, that bothers me more than these guys getting bought out and then going to contenders. And like, they're worried about the big markets and all that kind of stuff. But I'm like, you're a Lakers guy. Like Drummond is not going to be the reason whether or not you win a title this season. Like he's going to help or maybe hurt or like chances are he might just not move the needle all that much. Like if it's him or Boogie or whoever, like I don't know if any of these guys are JaVale again. Like I'm not certain that it really moves the needle and especially in Brooklyn, like Blake and LaMarcus Aldridge are not swinging a title in Brooklyn. That's just mm-hmm. not, not reality. So if the buyout market was like the wizards bought out Bradley Beal, Maybe then I would be like, yeah, this is insane. Like, what? It, what is happening? Mm-hmm. Um, but these are aging veterans, yeah. or in Drummond's case, guys who are not worth their salary. They are players that like, just they're they're rotation guys. They're not buyouts for a reason. Yeah, yeah. But for me, uh, you know, looking at the piece, I know that it sounds like this is going to be a real point of contention in the CBA because yeah. they want to, you know, put these different, um, you know, stipulations into the, the whole buyout um, situation where they, we talking draft compensation. One of the things I've seen that they talked about doing, trying to push the buyout deadline up before the trade deadline cap exceptions. Like, like you said, all of these things just seem like, you know, a little bitter. Mm-hmm. By the small markets, no disrespect, but like you said, it's not like that. There's world beaters that's getting you know pushed into the market. These are these are people that they're bought out for a reason. Either the money isn't uh, you know identical to what they're contributing to whatever team they're getting bought out from, or it's an aging veteran and both of these you know, two sides, the player and the team come to this agreement and say, hey, we want to go in one direction. We want you to go into another direction. We want to put you in the best position possible by allowing you to, you know, choose your own fate, choose your own situation for the rest of your career. Um, And for me, I think, um, what was I going to say? I think for me, when you're talking about benching players while you're trying to find a, a trade situation, I think a lot of times as fans, we forget about the actual on-court aspect that you're taking away from these players where they can't stay into game shape. So when they do get bought out, you know, these are things that can affect them physically as far as, you know, how is their health going to be when they get to the destination they want to go to. Um, You know, not being able to, you know, pick up on schemes as far as playing other teams from night to night and getting familiar with your opponent. And then, you know, just doing the basic stuff as far as running sets for a team and most NBA teams run like similar sets. So it's all about rhythm and they miss out on that when you do say, Hey, we're going to put you on a shelf until we find a situation that works for you. So I think they're going to have to find a a happy medium with that. And I agree with you there. I don't know how they're going to do it, 
but I definitely think it should be something that's looked into as, you know, the bow becomes a thing or continues to be a thing for the NBA. Yeah, I um, I think this is a lot about nothing. <laughs> I mm-hmm. uh, We'll see yep. what happens in the CBA, but, like, this is this is not a real thing. Um, there's a lot more issues, I think, even with, like, James Harden, who we haven't talked about, like, the way he forced his way out of Houston and got to Brooklyn. That's way more problematic to the league, um, the, the health of the league, than um Blake Griffin and Lamarcus mm-hmm. Aldridge winding yep. up in Brooklyn. It's just it's really interesting to see how people respond cuz I I've, I've had uh casual sports fans friends. I don't know if this has been the case for you. I'm sure when you're just like talking basketball with um casuals that you're like they they'll be like, "Oh, how how is this fair? Like how do they get Blake and Lamarcus?" And you're like, "Well, I mean, Nicholas Claxton is probably better and Jeff Green's probably going to close mm-hmm. at 5 and it's like it's, they're just names. <laughs> Those are guys you remember, but it's like, "No, right. this is not not a thing. I promise. It's it doesn't really yeah. matter." Um I don't know. We'll we'll see what happens. Do you have a major problem with what the Thunder are doing? Um they just uh, extended uh, Moses Brown, I think he got a 19-year contract for $2 million um, for playing well. <laughs> Did you see that contract? It's like four years, $6 million. Yeah, I don't think I've seen that in the NBA in just, what, 20 years? What is this contract? Yeah, that's uh, – okay, you did – you had a great game. I would like to see you, you know, make a little bit of <laughs> – the beginning of some life-changing money, so let's, let's put a deal on the table. But uh, we're going to keep – for ourselves some flexibility in case we we get to where we think we will go in the future so you know we need to cut you this this deal is easier just to you know cut uh cut bait on so that's what that kind of deal looked like to me yeah i i don't know man like that it, most brown looks like he's gonna be a player though so i'm okay with it i think yeah um, i think so but we'll see we'll see the thunder have i think what isn't it something crazy i want to say do they have 24 picks in the next three like it's something bizarre like a lot of these guys i i just i don't even know who they're gonna they have all the picks they have all the picks and you can't do that like they're gonna have to eventually trade seven of them for bradley beal like that's coming they don't have you just can't build a team that way um so we'll we'll see what happens in OKC, but I it really does bother me because oh, like Al Horford could have helped a lot of contenders, and mm-hmm. for them not to play him, even play him down the stretch, like Al Horford's not gonna cost you wins. Like you're We're still right. gonna lose games if you give Al Horford 24 minutes a night with Shea. Like that's not gonna be the difference between you beating uh, the Clippers on a random Tuesday. Like that's where teams just overthink this stuff. Where I'm like. Why do you like why sit him? Like if you're Cleveland, what is like who cares? Just keep playing Drummond. Like whatever. I, I just I don't understand that at all. Um this is my favorite part of this podcast, Walt. I, I really want to talk about the post NBA trade deadline, risers and fallers. When you look at the rosters, you look at where everybody is, um, who for you, you can go first. Who do you have as the risers post uh trade deadline? Well, the first team I want to start off with is the Nuggets, just getting Aaron Gordon, getting JaVale McGee, and I think they got Ian Clark as well. They got way more athletic in the front court. You just brought in a guy, especially when you're looking at the West and who you got to go through in the West. You brought in a guy you can kind of just plug in and just let him run wild. And then, you know, Jokic will do. Jokic and Jamal Mirror, they'll do the, the heavy lifting down the stretch. I think that's definitely one of the risers. The Bulls uh, getting Nikola Vujicic, bringing in a all-star to pair with uh, Zach Levine. 
that's major. And they got a couple of other pieces too to make this late run to try to either get into the play in or, you know, secure a seed so they don't have to be in the play in tournament out east. And I got a, a surprise team. Okay. Um, well, let me finish off and then I'll give you my surprise team okay. last. Obviously, the Heat, mm. uh, you know, getting Victor Oladipo and Amaja Bijalinka. And, you know, they were hot on the trail for LaMarcus Ards. I don't know what happened, but, you know, uh, they almost got him. But, you know, with them getting healthy and then adding these two big pieces, definite riser uh, in the East. And we're going to see them get, to back, uh, get back to where they were last year. My surprise team is the uh, the Houston Rockets were a riser. Riser? Sense, uh, uh, I will call them a winner. I won't call them okay. a riser. Let's call them a winner. Okay, make um, the case because this <laughs> I did not uh, – I was not expecting this. Okay, Houston, yeah. a riser. I like this. Mm-hmm. So for me, I do agree that Houston did not get back the appropriate assets for moving somebody like James Harden and then uh, you know moving somebody like Victor Oladipo. Well, they got a few pieces, but nothing like I would have expected considering – the success that Houston has had on the margins over the years and also just building on the fly and being like one of the best teams in the NBA and turning things around. Um, but for them, I think a lot of people, rightfully so, like I said, they should make a big deal about them not getting a lot of assets. But at the end of the day, Houston wants to tank. And with them moving somebody like Victor Oladipo, even though he was in and out of the lineup, when you make yourself talent deficient like that and you're trying to tank, then, you know, that's what you're going to get. So they just put themselves another step closer to possibly, uh, you know, the Cade Cunningham sweepstakes or UM Oakley, Jalen Suggs, or whoever they want to take with that pick. Or, you know, if they want to take that pick, if they feel like they may want to, you know, try to contend or build, you know, contender next year or a playoff team next year, you know, maybe they want to entertain a trade, man, and throw that pick out as a sweetener with somebody with, uh, you know, Christian Wood, maybe. Who knows? You just can't tell with the Rockets. So I think they were a winner at the trade deadline for making themselves worse and uh, just making sure that they are going to be in the thick of the lottery and have a chance to get that number one pick next year. Oh, man. I, um, yeah, I just, I think it goes back to like their hands were forced. Like they got screwed by it the Harden stuff like that was something you couldn't really prepare for um Victor Oladipo just being like yeah I'm good um because they didn't want to sign up for four years of Oladipo um Christian Wood's been really good for them I just feel really bad for Steven Silas because Mm. there's no way he's getting through this like that's what sucks is we look at what happened with Floyd Pierce in Atlanta we look at what happens around the league is you don't really get to see the rebuild through in most areas most teams do not give you the Brett Brown like six years um you the losing just starts to wear on teams and the rockets are going to be bad (laughs) as you illustrated for several years like there's no way around it um Mm -hmm. and just i don't know man i just feel bad because i think he's going to be a really good coach and i thought he was doing really well with a bad situation after the hard trade because old depot wall christian wood like that group was playing really well um I just I don't know what this looks like in uh, two years from now for him. I just I have some real doubts that this is going to be something that he can get through. But I I hope that is the case because I think he really deserves a shot and I think he could be really good for them long term if mm. they let him see it through. Um, I just think 
Yeah, I guess it also just depends on what you think about Victor Oladipo because I have the Heat in my risers as well. They're my number one risers because I think Miami with Oladipo and now that uh, they're uh, they're circling the wagons when it comes to Bradley Beal and they were going to circle the wagons on Giannis before he re-signed in uh, Milwaukee. But I Miami's just coming. Like they're the eight seed right now, and they Boston added Evan Fournier, and I think Boston will be fine too because I think they're going to get healthier, and I think Kimba as the season goes on. Like I think them getting less bigs and getting more playmakers and getting more shooters is going to ultimately help them. Um, but Miami getting Old Depot is just like one of those where I don't think it's going to matter in the regular season. I just think in a seven game series, like if Miami gets matched up with like I don't even look. Not the Nets. That's like a doomsday situation for them because they're losing that series. And I think right now, if I'm looking at the standings, yeah, they're the eight seed. If they can get in that mm-hmm. like six five zone, like or even the Bucks, like that's a nightmare for the Bucks. If they get Jimmy, mm-hmm. um, if they get Jimmy, they get Bam, and they get uh, Victor Oladipo in a seven game series, like that, that is mm-hmm. going to be a nightmare. And just seeing Oladipo and Holiday go back and forth will be fun. Um, I don't know. I just I think this group getting off Kelly Olynyk, getting getting more shooting, getting more just upside. Like Victor Oladipo is just the best upside play there is because he's not healthy. And Miami, we know how they are with these vets and what they can do with these guys. Um, it will take some of the burden off Tyler Hero, who's had a really bad mm-hmm. year too. Um, I don't know. I, I just really like where the the Heat are going, and I think uh, they're gonna get back on track. I think they've. They won their last game. They're four and six in their last ten, but I'm not. Uh, I'm not as worried about uh, Miami because I think the Hornets, Knicks, and Hawks, all in front of them, are all going to fall mm-hmm. uh, and fall soon because Indian, Indian, Indiana gets Karis LeVert back. They didn't trade Miles Turner. Sabonis is still there. T.J. Warren being out for the season stinks for them, but um, keeping Brogdon, like I just look at this roster and I'm like, they didn't move any pieces, and they get Karis LeVert back, like. I think they're going to sneak back into this and I would not be surprised if they're a playoff team at the very worst, a play in team. Um, the Clippers getting Rondo won't matter in the regular season, but Lou not playing in crunch time anyway, and finding someone who is more of a facilitator for Kawhi and Paul George, I think will pay dividends for them. So I think they're a sneaky winner. Just, we won't see it yet. Kings keeping, Harrison Barnes, because I think he's actually really good with this group, and I think his timeline's closer to De'Aaron Fox and, and Tyrese Halliburton than people know. And mm-hmm. the Nuggets getting Aaron Gordon, because I don't know who Aaron Gordon is as a player yet. I don't know if he can play winning basketball. He looked good last night in the Hawks game watching that. Um, but we'll see. We'll we'll see what Aaron Gordon is as a fourth option on a contender. Um, do we leave anybody off of the risers, Walt? Hmm. I think we got everybody covered, man. I think we got everybody covered. You don't have your Lakers as a riser. Uh, yeah, they're not done yet, man. You know, we we have to wait till after April the ninth and, and see see Who if do you want uh, them to add if after Drummond, like when you think about the rest of this rotation and what they need, what do you, what else do you want? Is there someone in mind that you that you have in mind right now? I would love to see them add Otto Porter Jr. if he hits the market. I think that would uh that would give them the size that they need on the perimeter. Uh, somebody else who you know has a a pulse to, uh you know dribble drive and and set up offense for themselves ish. Um, and it, it's just all about the size at the end of the day. And uh, 
I think a, a long stretch is bringing back Avery Bradley. Um, I mean, anytime you hear a name get floated out with the Lakers, it's not at all, you know, by uh, it's not ironic at all. It's 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 for a purpose. So I wouldn't mind them seeing uh, seeing them add either of those two. I don't hate the Avery Bradley thing. Him just remember how much things have changed for him. Like going into the bubble, like there were real conversations that like the Lakers get losing Bradley for the bubble could cost him a title like that was a conversation because mm-hmm. of how good he was playing with this group that like them yeah. losing bradley was like a problem that kcp just uh turned into a, another level which saved them in a yeah. lot of ways and caruso being really good too um mm-hmm. bradley really is an interesting um an interesting option there I, I don't hate that um losers utah jazz is my number one loser this might be surprising mm. I think they're going to run into the problem against the Clippers or the Lakers or maybe even the Nuggets where Royce O'Neal and Joe Ingles in the wing is just going to cost them. Um, Them not upgrading the wing spot with Bojan and that group, they're a great shooting team. They've solved pick and roll basketball. They've solved pick and drop coverage in basketball. Like They are fluent in that. Rudy Gobert knows how to do both of those things extremely well. Donovan Mitchell knows how to do both of those things things extremely well conley's playing at an all-star level but they're going to run into elite wings and when they run into those elite wings i don't think they have the versatility to be able to withstand those kinds of squads i just don't and i think them betting on this group on the wings front is going to cost them what has been a special season i think they should have sacrificed some of their depth um for those guys because what they're not playing Clarkson Conley and Mitchell in crunch time. Like it's not happening. So mm-hmm. I just, I don't know, man. I think they're happy kind of like the Sixers, at the top of their standings, but like, I, I just, I don't know. Like I, <laughs> the amount of money that I would bet on the Clippers or Lakers being the jazz in the seven game series. Um, it's mm-hmm. just, I don't know. I think they should have taken a bigger swing because you don't know if you're going to have a season like this again from Conley. And this was a huge opportunity for them. And I think it uh, it's going to bother him. What do you think? Man, yeah, that uh, they could have stood to bring in maybe like one more big. Um, and I think they, they did get Matt Thomas, which is just, you know, another French shooter that they added to the rotation. But they could have stood to bring in one more big. Uh, my other losers... Um, and this is one we we disagree on. I think the Clippers were losers, uh, but interesting. I will I will also put them in the same camp with the Lakers because you know they're going to be sniffing around the the April the ninth buyout deadline too, and uh, they'll have a chance to possibly add in a little bit more scoring because if they got Rondo to be the playmaker, unless they completely trust Reggie Jackson, then I could see them possibly going at their score. Um, Austin Rivers, he hit the market, and it was said that he was going to the Bucks, But, you know, the Bucks went with Jeff Teague, and I'm not sure if he's still not going. But that would be an interesting ad for the Clippers, somebody who can handle the ball, have a little shot creation, um, a good defender, good strong defender at the two guard, can guard point guards as well. And in some situations, depending on who's playing the three for the other squad, he can guard down and play a little bit of the three, depending on who it is. I put emphasis on that. So um, I did have him tagged as a loser, but I'll, I'll wait to see what happens uh, by April the 9th. And then the Warriors, man, I really 
thought that they could get off of Kelly Oubre's deal. Uh, maybe they want to bring him back next year and, you know, kind of keep what they have together. They did get rid of Brad, uh, not get rid of, that's such a horrible way to phrase it. They <laughs> traded Brad Wanamaker, um, but, you know, they didn't get much back. And I thought that they would do more at trade deadline. I heard that they were in the market for Danny Green as well. And, you know, that didn't materialize. So and I don't think it's they like had anything had. left after that. Right. That's so strange to me that he was <laughs> on the market and he he you know he had a a rough playoffs last year but you know I he found his him having a certain kind of air ball that may have bothered you. Ah, <sighs> uh, <laughs> they won the championship, mm-hmm. so the past is the past, and I mm-hmm. appreciate Danny Green's tenure as a Laker. So you know I, I have to let bygones be classy. Bygones. I like it, but <laughs> right, but yeah, man, I hey, I I guess you know if. I don't know. I don't know what what feel it. Well, you can always use a Danny Green. You know, I can't say, you know, later into the the you competing for a championship if it'll pay off. But you know, if you got them, then you can use them. But uh, it must be they must see it another way in Philadelphia. But now, you know, they have no choice but to try to ride this thing out unless they, which I don't see happen, unless they buy him out and uh, surprise everybody. But I can guarantee if you go on the market, then it's going to be a lot of people, you know, trying to, you know, get them back. I know we would. I think he'd be eligible to get signed back if he did that. I hope I just didn't start a rumor because that's <laughs> not anything I heard. I'm just saying. Um, but, yeah, we would definitely be clawing back, trying to get him back on the squad as a big wing who can knock down some threes. But, yeah, those are my uh, those are my losers, man. Interesting. Um, the Warriors are also on my list. I I also just don't know what they're supposed to do. Like this whole season kind of screwed them with Clay's injury. Um, they had to mm-hmm. scramble on the fly to get Kelly Oubre. Um, Jordan Poole is playing better for them. Draymond's pl- trying hard. James Wiseman having moments. He still can't shoot, but uh, guys are scared of him when they drive in. Wiseman is going to help Draymond as he gets older and slower and all that kind of stuff. And just having Draymond as a teacher is going to be huge for him. But like they, the, the Warriors not, um, trading that number two pick and acquiring mm-hmm. Andrew Wiggins for D'Lo is hurting them significantly this season. I wrote about it, like the Wiggins problem of just like, I was taking notes during the Hawks uh, Warriors game last week. And it's just, he was over two and nothing midway through the second quarter. And this was, Steph was out and they just needed buckets. And Jordan Poole is just like mm-hmm. driving around the, the basket and just, searching <laughs> and no one wants the ball like no one's doing anything mm. kelly Oubre's deer in headlights um he was it's just that offense and nothing works like it's just a totally different warriors team than what we've seen and like steph is just having to do everything they're playing like the houston james harden era because they have to they can't survive like they literally mm-hmm. cannot survive offensively in today's game without steph having a crazy usage and just doing everything um so for me i'm like i don't think they could really really done anything at the deadline that would have solved their problems like their problems is they need clay back um their problems are they're they're using james wiseman as a rookie when they could have potentially gotten someone who could help them now for that number two pick and they're paying a lot of money to andrew wiggins to be that guy when steph or clay is out to step up and he is not Mm. that player so i just i don't think they're an easy fix and i'm kind of concerned about the end of steph's prime and golden state to be entirely honest um the Pels not doing anything was mm. weird to me. 
because we just heard all these rumors. JJ, Lonzo, like that. This is Bledsoe. They just didn't do anything. That blew my mind. Like I was stunned. David Griffin did not make one move. Were you? Yeah, I thought Lonzo was definitely gonna be in another jersey after the trade deadline passed, and I thought that he'd be able to uncork. Um, you know, Steven Adams deal or Bledsoe's mm-hmm. deal by maybe attaching Lonzo or maybe Jackson Hayes, maybe the pick that they have this year if they can trade it. They I think they had the tools to try to, you know, shake some things up, but you know, nothing came about uh on the market. But I think for them the players that they want to move are just players that nobody wants and maybe they're trying to hold tight to uh, you know, what they do have in case uh a all-star who's in a situation right now that does not look ideal uh, comes on the market in the summertime. Maybe they're just waiting to see if they can, you know, get into that market. But I was very surprised as well that the Pelicans didn't do much. Yeah. Um, last thing, and we'll wrap up here, man. Um, Bradley Beal. Teams are circling. Of the list of teams that are lining up to go after Bradley Beal this uh this offseason, what would you do if you're Riley B and what would you do if you're Tommy Shepard and the Wizards? And the first thing I would do, speaking of all-stars who are in situations that, you know, the direction is in the air, I would sit him down this year. I would uh, oh. have a sincere conversation oh, with him. Oh, not sit him, not play him. <laughs> you mean, okay, I thought you meant uh, yeah, shut him down. Sit, yeah, yeah, and uh, a real sit down. I have him sit down and, and figure out, you know, what direction he wants to go in. I will show him the moves that we can make and what we can't do. And I'm pretty sure once they lay out what they can't do, that will uh, paint a better picture for Brad Bill. And he strikes me. He, he's a very loyal, a very loyal guy. And I would see him. I would not see him ever being traded during the season because he, I don't think he would want to cause that much commotion for a franchise. But I do think that in the summertime when things are a little bit more, you know, like I said, the outlook is clearer for everybody. And you got more options as far as saying, okay, you know, and this, you know, trades are a real thing when it comes to like moving somebody of this magnitude as far as, hey, do you want to go to New Orleans? Would you like to go to uh, San Francisco or or what the Warriors play, Golden State? Do you Mm -hmm. want to go to Golden State? Would you like to go that way and, you know, getting things lined up? before you're actually able to make a move. Um, but I would certainly sit him down and talk to him and then see, uh, let him know who's calling, let him know who's uh, who's trying to, you know, get him, and then figure out what works for him if he wants to go. And uh, I think the Warriors would be a team that's in the market for him. Uh, I think we talked earlier about the Heat would be in the market for him. And I think the Pelicans could get in on it too. Oh, so, Pelicans we'll see. are interesting. I, I don't even know. I kind of would... It's so hard. It depends on what Bradley Beal wants. But, like, my yep. favorite one, I think, is Toronto. Because mm, I think if you keep Kyle Lowry now, and now mm-hmm. you have Pascal, and you throw Bradley Beal into this mix, kind of like the Kawhi situation. You just throw him in the Toronto incubator with perhaps the best coach in basketball and Nick Nurse. I mm. am fascinated by what Bradley Beal looks like with those guys. Um, I I would love that option there's not a lot of other ones that really just jump off the page to me. Um, I don't know. When you think about it, it's just, 
I don't know. There's not a lot that really, really just made me go, mm, do it. I guess the sneaky one that I would 100% do that I, this market would never do it is Memphis. Just pair Jaw mm. and Bradley Beal. Oh, they have so uh, many young guys that they cannot yeah. pay all these dudes. Like, sell high on all of your draft yeah. assets. Like, you've developed these dudes really well. Trade Brooks, trade Jaron Jackson, trade, and just go with Jaw and Bradley Beal. That is what mm. I would do. I think that's my favorite, like, under the radar one. It's like Memphis getting involved and just pairing Beal and Morant. That's beautiful. I would love to see that, too. That'd be great. That is a good one. Yeah. Um, all right, man. Well, this has been great. Thank you so much for making the time. Hey, man. Thank you for inviting me on. I enjoyed it, man. I love to talk shooty hoops, and I can't wait until uh, these next few weeks and see if my guys get healthy, and um, we're going to get a lot of good basketball going down the stretch. I think the East play-in is going to be amazing. I think the okay. West is going to be good, too, but the East play-in tournament is going to be super scrappy, so I can't wait to see that once we get to that, uh, once we get there. What can we check out from you on Twitter or anywhere else, man? Well, I'm going to be doing, uh, you know, my regular writing on LakersOutsiders.com. And uh, I also got my pod on uh, Apple, SoundCloud, the Rim Run podcast. I'll be uh, recording something new soon. Right now I'm doing something behind the scenes in a production class trying to, you know, get my skills right. And uh, I'll be uh, promoting that on my Twitter as usual, my Facebook uh, follow me on Twitter at Hoope Fiasco. Uh, on Facebook, Christopher Jamal Walton. You can find all my links, and I'll be sharing my work. Retweet it, like it, subscribe, leave a comment. And yeah, that's all my stuff, man. All right, well, go do that. Um, thank you for the time, my man, and uh, we'll be talking hoops again soon. Chase, man, take care, man. Stay safe, and I'm uh, looking forward to speaking with you again. Have you ever said to yourself, I love the fact that I've had the same few pair of sheets since just after college and I never liked them then, but I just keep washing them every week or two and putting them back on the bed like it's totally normal? Well, stop it. Brooklinen can make that voice in your head and the bad sheets on your bed go away. So... Brooklinen was started by Rich and Vicky, who also tried to find beautiful home essentials that didn't cost an arm and a leg. And when they couldn't, they founded Brooklinen as the first direct-to-consumer bedding company. They work directly with manufacturers to make luxury available directly to you without luxury-level markups. Brooklinen has a variety of sheets, colors, patterns, and materials to fit your needs and tastes. Brooklinen has over 50 thousand five-star reviews and counting they are so confident that you will love their products they even offer a 365 day money back guarantee and brooklinen is so much more than cheats they've got comforters pillows towels even loungewear and more um go to brooklinen.com and use promo code chase t to get 25 dollars off when you spend a hundred or more plus free shipping that is b-r-o-o-k-l-i-n-e-n.com and enter promo code chase t to get 25 dollars off when you spend 100 dollars or more plus free shipping brooklinen.com and use promo code chase t at checkout
We're back on the Chase Sounds Podcast, and I am now joined by someone from my home paper, the the AJC, Sarah K. Spencer. Sarah, good morning. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. I'm good. I'm good. Um, the Hawks played last night. They lost last night. They look flat. Um, you're trying to get the head coach fined, I saw. Um, it's a bold move, but I like it. I like it. Um, he actually said that on his own. Hey, I asked about the defense. He brought that up. <laughs> um, so when you look at this West Coast road trip, you look at what the Hawks have been in the last 11, 12 games. Do you think, having watched this team all season, that they have turned the corner um, and just really firm, like figured out who they are as a basketball team? Well, I think it's possible for them to turn the corner, um, and I think they've shown that. And I think they have a little bit, especially when you compare it to kind of how they started. Uh, they started the season 14 and 20, and kind of the whole goal of this season that was you know publicly stated was to – make the playoffs and try and exit the rebuilding phase. And although they showed improvement in that first half, they didn't show enough improvement, um, you know, for the kind of franchise to be happy with the direction it's going. I don't think they felt like they were moving in the right direction strongly enough. Um, And then you saw, you know, the result of that was kind of a coaching change. And so I think in the second half, they have, obviously they, one eight straight and they've shown that they're capable of getting wins they need to win when they were on that eight game winning streak it wasn't necessarily against juggernauts of teams and you know uh, they, they did beat the lakers um without lebron and ad but that's kind of the point the point is that you know in the first half of the season they were losing to teams that they probably shouldn't have lost to because of just some struggles in the fourth quarter so for the most part, they've cleaned up the fourth quarter. Um, they've lost, I think it's three of their last four now. Um, so it, it's not like everything's perfect. But this, on this road trip, is kind of the, the toughest part of their season. Um, grueling eight-game West Coast road trip against multiple teams who are going to be in the playoffs, multiple teams with winning records. So it's not like they were going to go 8-0 on this road trip. You know, they, they're they're just kind of trying to scrap as many wins as they can. Um, so as far as if they've turned the corner, I think they've shown that they can. Um, and, and you're not going to go undefeated. So, so yes, in a way they are. But there's still some things that they could clean up, if that makes sense. There's still um, some games where they kind of come out flat. Um, for example, that loss to Denver, um, where they looked pretty bad defensively and just, you know, there's going to be those games that are just kind of clunkers. So it's not like everything is going perfectly, but yes, they've certainly shown plenty of improvement. They've shown a lot of potential. And I think that that might be the case even more so if they can get a little healthier. Um, DeAndre Hunter has missed I believe it's two games in a row now with kind of some knee issues. Chris Dunn has yet to make his debut with some knee and ankle issues. So you still haven't seen this Hawks team at full strength. Um, And you also haven't seen it with Lou Williams since they traded Rondo um, for Williams and some picks and some cash. So, so I I think that this team has a lot of potential um, and it's just going to depend on how they kind of put it all together down the, not final stretch, but down the, the stretch of the second half. 
How has uh, Nate McMillan been different than Coach Lloyd Pierce? Um, you know, he's he's a little bit more – a lot of the times the guys will – because I've asked the, the players this a lot, and they'll say he's a little bit more old school. Hmm. Um, he's just kind of – he's just kind of that kind of no-nonsense, like more old school coach. Um it's it's kind of a bummer of of this season in the sense that I haven't been able to meet him in person. Yeah. You know, I it's it's tough this season, and not to complain because we're all kind of in the same boat. Um, but you know, it's a bummer when you're you're covering a coach and you can't even you know shake his hand and meet him in person. So I haven't gotten to know him too well yet, just because of the circumstances. Um, which hopefully at some point, you know, whether it's playoffs or next season hopefully we can get back to a little bit of normalcy there but I think the biggest differences you're seeing on the court under McMillan are again for the most part because they've had some hiccups here or there but for the the most part the team is executing down the stretch better Um, just fewer silly mistakes fewer miscommunications and and being able to buckle down get back and guard in the fourth and come away with more wins than they were in the first half, again, regardless of caliber of opponent, you know, they lost to Cleveland on a wide open dunk in the, in the final seconds. Um, and, you know, Cleveland's not going to the NBA finals anytime soon. So, you know, I, I think that that has been the biggest difference when it comes to McMillan versus Pierce. Um, at least so far, you know, it's still a little bit of a a small sample size, but, you know, and and I think that it it pumped some energy into the team that eight game win streak, which came under McMillan. Um, So I think that might've given them a little bit of of confidence. Um, And so we'll just have to see what they can do moving forward. Do you think uh, bogey is going to be in the starting lineup going forward? Do you think this is something that they want? And this is something that uh, they hope they can, they can stay uh, as the team gets healthier. Um, I think, I, I think that's where they would, pre- I mean, that's where he was before he got hurt, um, for the most part. So I, I think the initial idea was to pair him with Trey and kind of get another creator out there. So even though Trey Young's always going to be on the ball, you know, have a guy who can, who can be on the ball as well from time to time. So I think that that, it makes sense. And that's, that's a good pairing. Um, that's what we're doing before he got hurt. But I also think there might be a little bit of not shaking up, but I, I think there's still a little bit to be figured out when it comes to exactly how minutes are going to break down once everyone gets healthy. Because if this team is healthy, this team's pretty deep. Um, it, it's just been that they haven't been healthy. So you're kind of seeing different lineups and, you know, different bench lineups and, and things like that. Um, but I mean, I, I think that I think that it can work with him in the starting lineup. Um, I think he kind of had to get his legs under him a little bit um, coming back from injury. Um, but I also think that it'll be interesting to see how this team uses a guy like Chris Dunn too. Um, when whenever he's able to play, I think he's supposed to be able to play by the end of this West Coast road trip. Interesting. Um, I, I'll hold my breath on Chris Dunn. I, I'll hold my breath, Sarah. I, I just. <laughs> we'll, we'll, as we'll far see. as when he'll be able to play <laughs> yeah and if he's even going to be a factor if he'll be in the rotation and what he can really do because now 
it goes from them not having enough guys to this rotation is getting pretty deep and playoff rotations uh, typically get smaller and they need to go down to eight or nine guys. And we still just the wild card with Cam Reddish and DeAndre Hunter coming back. Um, how do you think Nate is going to bring back DeAndre Hunter and Chris Dunn um, and maybe even Cam Reddish? Is there a plan? Do you see it all uh, coalescing neatly? Um, well, I mean, you just named three guys who are good defensively mm-hmm. and this team at its worst has defensive problems. So I think even if you have to get a little creative with how you deploy lineups and who you use when, um, which you're, you're right. As the team gets deeper and deeper, if the team gets deeper and deeper as guys become healthier, you know, it's, it's true. You can't use, all those guys all the time, obviously, you have to kind of tighten things up a little bit. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying right now is it's a little hard to exactly predict because you haven't seen them all out there together. Yeah. Um, you know, a, a lot of them haven't even been able to practice. So even from, you know, Nate hasn't even seen that in practice because they really don't get practices. When you're playing every other day, you can't scrimmage five on five, you know, for like an hour in that in-between day um, because you're going to wear yourself out. You know, you you kind of increase injury risk, um, and they just simply don't get the practice time. They're traveling, they're testing. It, it's tough to get everything. It's tough to kind of get your ducks in a row when that's the situation. Um, so it's hard to say exactly how they'll use Chris Dunn because I haven't even seen the guy play yet. Um, again, haven't met him in person yet either, which sucks. Um, so I think there's certainly times when they could deploy him defensively. Um, you know, he's a big kind of just matchup guy defensively. Just throw him out there on a matchup and let him do his thing. There's, of course, questions of how he's going to come back, you know, health-wise because he's been out for so long. So that might be something more gradual. That might be something where you just see him a few minutes at a time here and there working his way back. Um, that might be something that happens with DeAndre Hunter, too. Um, who obviously I think he missed 23 games and then came back for two games. And then um, maybe it was just the increased activity. I'm not a doctor, but now he's got some swelling in his knee. Um, So we'll see when that subsides. But obviously this team is at its best when DeAndre Hunter is kind of at his best. I mean, he was one of the most consistent players, if not the most consistent player on the team before he got hurt. Kind of gives you another guy who can get to his own shot, good defender as well. Um, Cam has been a guy who has struggled with his shot big time this season, but he's still a, a pretty good defender. And so they're missing that as well. Um, so even though I don't know exactly how those guys will be used in the second half, although I think DeAndre, as soon as you can use him at full force, they will um, because of how good he's been playing because of how much he's improved. So yeah, I think we'll just have to, to see how those guys look when they come back as well. Because when you're out for a while with injury, it, it's kind of hard to predict, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, it's just going to be complicated. And I think this is something that I'm very fascinated because it's just going to be very difficult to keep all these guys happy, um, especially come playoff time, because some of these guys are just going to be out of the rotation and just going to get DMPCDs and they need reps. And like you said, they're not getting reps in games and they're not going to get reps in practice because they're not doing the scrimmages. So I'm just uh, <laughs> I'm curious how this is going to work, but I'm going to guess not good. Um what do you what do you know about Cam Reddish and his Achilles and just how nervous the Hawks are about him right now? 
Um, the last I heard, he wasn't really able to do much with contact. Um, mm. I think, I think also Achilles are really tricky. So you don't want to, yeah, I don't know. You don't want to push it at all. You know, mm-hmm. if there's tenderness or swelling or anything like that, Achilles is one of those really, really tricky injuries. And it can also add up, you know, if you have something with your Achilles, sometimes you can be out for a while. Um, so again, I'm not a, a doctor, um, but I think that's something that they're being pretty cautious with just because of the nature of Achilles injuries. Um, you know, and uh, the last I, the last I heard, he's not doing much with contact yet. That might have changed in the last day or two. Um, but yeah, he's a guy who they're not able to, to do much with. I, I'm pretty sure he's just kind of resting and rehabbing right now. Mm. Can, kind of concerning, kind of concerning. Um, speaking of Cam and John Collins, do you believe that both were really out there at the trade deadline and that there was real possibilities that Lonzo or Marcus Smart could have been had for one of those two pieces? Well, I mean, you always have conversations about players to, to figure out kind of value value to you, value to the rest of the league. Um, and that's something that Hawks GM Travis Schlenk has addressed quite a bit. Uh, you know, of course you have those conversations. And of course, particularly with John, of course they were getting inquiries about that because John is such a talented young player who's, you know, gifted on offense and continues to improve defensively. So he's the kind of guy that a lot of teams would want. Um, so of course they're going to field inquiries in a way but Schlenk went on the record and said they had no serious conversations about moving John the word serious carries a lot of weight there because you can have conversations and it not necessarily go anywhere um so I mean I'm sure they had conversations but also John is very valuable to this team he's also a good fit with this team I think he might be a better fit this season than maybe some people would have thought, or maybe on paper it would have looked, just because they added Clint Capella and kind of the question was, hey, how are those two guys going to fit? And I think that's a fair question because they do some similar things. But because John shoots three so well uh, and because they have played so well together defensively and they communicate well, they like each other, they get along really well, they're figuring out how to make it work at a pretty high level. Um, so I think John fits well on this team, and I think because of that, I think he is very valuable to the Hawks. And also, there's something to be said with this whole group, really. There's something to be said about right when you hit your stride, do you want to mess too much up? Mm-hmm. And GMs look at things from a macro level, obviously, um, but at the same time, even on a smaller scale, if you just now, if your goal is to make the playoffs this season and you seem to be making progress toward that goal, do you want to change drastically, you know, the makeup of the team? And the answer was no, they didn't want to do that. Um, and Schlenk was open about that as well. So they ended up making a, I guess, quote unquote, minor move because it mm-hmm. wasn't one of, one of their major guys, although I think it has the potential to help them. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I have no doubt that they had conversations about players to, to gauge that value, but that kind of stuff happens all the time and it doesn't necessarily mean a, a move is impending, you know, um, cause a lot of this stuff kind of comes down to the, 
to the wire. And at the end of the day, I think the Hawks just didn't want to make any drastic moves considering that they've been playing better, considering that they've been playing better lately. Do you think Collins is a, is an Atlanta Hawk long-term as it stands right now? Do you believe that they are prioritizing him and that both he wants to stay with the Hawks long-term and play with Trey long-term or do you think that this is all going to change come the summertime and that if he signs a certain number on an offer sheet from somebody else, that it's unlikely the Hawks match? Well, I think it's hard to say. I, I try not to opine too much. I, I think it's hard to say right now because you just have to wait and see what he's offered when the time comes. There's still a lot of basketball to be played until then. And if there is John, he certainly wants to stay in Atlanta. Um, he said that several times. He's also spoke a lot. I actually wrote a story about this the other day. He's spoken a ton about how he really values that kind of, I don't know, old school mindset or maybe just that continuity mindset of, of really valuing staying at a place, staying with one franchise. Um, you know, I think that's something that's important to him and I think he wants to stay, yes. Um, I think he wants to – he's kind of been a, a cornerstone of the rebuild, really. I mean, he's the longest-tenured guy on the team. He actually came the year before Trey Young and Kevin Herter. He's been around for a while. He's been through the rebuild. And now he's kind of starting to build up some success. Not him personally, not that he's just now having success, but as a franchise, they're just now starting to kind of gain a little traction. Um, so, no, I mean, I think he's, he's said several times that he wants to say that, you know, he's invested in Atlanta. Um, and I think the Hawks value him as well. It, it's just hard to say exactly what's going to happen right now because you don't know exactly what a team is going to offer him, you know, if that makes sense. You kind of mm-hmm. have to wait and see how that how that goes. Yeah. I'm curious. I, I'm very fascinated because I, I don't know how this is going to go. And all my Atlanta friends, we were like on the Atlanta sports guys on Fridays. We talk about this. And we argue about this, but um, I'm not sure. I really, <laughs> I really don't know. Um, I go back and forth on it. I, uh, there's just something about paying two bigs with Capella still being on the books for two years um, and just mm-hmm. Collins and him in the closing fit. And if you can play both those guys in crunch time in an important playoff mm-hmm. series, we're going to find out. That's why I want to see them in the playoffs. I want to see how this works in crunch time against really good teams well, and some game series. I want to see it. Well, I mean, exactly. I think that's a good point. I think it's hard to say. And I feel, I feel a little silly continuing to say, oh, it's hard to say right now. But you haven't seen this team at full force, nor have you seen this team play those meaningful minutes, even just late in the regular season. You know, forget a playoff series, forget the play-in tournament. Um, you haven't seen this team, you haven't seen games count, you know, really late in the season. And I, I, I'm curious to see how they respond to that, you know. And, and I, think it'll be, I think it'll be really fun to watch. And I think there's still a lot to, to gauge with this team as they, as they you know, if, if they continue to work toward that. I mean, it seems like they are. It seems like they're starting to, to gain a little ground and – um, if they get healthier, again, that might even happen more so. Um, but I think that that's going to be really interesting to watch is how they respond to meaningful games, how they respond to whether it's a playoff series, whether it's the play-in tournament, you know, whatever, wherever they end up falling if they get there. Um, I think that's going to be interesting to see the team's response. Yeah, I think so too. Last thing we'll wrap up here, Sarah. Um, is Trey Young happy? 
is Trey Young happy? Um, I mean, I, I think I think so. Okay. I think he's someone who wants to see. I mean, I you'd have to ask him <laughs> directly about his you know day to day emotions. I mean, I think I think overall, I think he's someone who really felt like it was time for the franchise to kind of exit the rebuilding phase and work toward winning. I think that was something that That's was... That's kind of where I was going with this. Is he happy and, with where he, they're going and what they're doing? Is he happy with the direction now? Yeah, I mean, I, I think... I mean, he's even... He's said that, you know, that this is... I think he has said that basically... You know, the I think so. Actually, last March was when Lloyd Pierce first said, um, you know, that next year, that the next step for us is the playoffs. And players, whether it was Kevin, Trey, John, um, a, a lot of players kind of jumped on board saying, you know, yeah, we feel like we're nearing the end of our rebuild. Um, and I think this season, again, even though they didn't start the way that they maybe wanted, I think they are starting to to gain some ground toward that goal. So from that perspective, I think, you know, the Hawks as a team are, are happy with the progress that they're making. But even when they were on that win streak, you know, you can't get cocky with a win streak like that. And, and they basically said, you know, the win streak is great, but it's not like we're, you know, it's, it's, it's a bigger goal than that. You know, it's, it's a bigger picture than that of making, trying to make the postseason after, you know, you know, quite a few a few years of, of rebuilding and losing at a level that is not fun and having a roster, you know, particularly the past two seasons that wasn't built to win. And now you have an improved roster around you and now you're just able to gain more ground and, and win more games overall. Um, so I think the Hawks overall are showing uh, progress. I think it's just, you know, can they get healthy? Can they keep it up to the point where they can give themselves a shot in the postseason? All right. What can we check out from you this week at the AJC, Sarah? Yeah, uh, AJC.com, just where all my stuff all my stuff is, all the Hawks content, uh, your heart desires. I'm on Twitter, at Sarah underscore K underscore Spence. I have a common name, so I kind of have a weird, complex Twitter handle there. Um, but yeah, just right now, just a lot of coverage of the West Coast road trip, which is seems to be going on and on and on and on um and eventually april 4th they'll be back home and it'll be nice to kind of be in person again um but yeah right now just kind of a lot of stories about the direction this team is trending all right well keep up the great work um and hopefully things are back to normal so we can uh, get more insight into you know who nate mcmillan is as a as a coffee drinker what kind of coffee does he like is he uh, a big fan of the media interactions at shoot around um what does he want what how is he in person um all that great stuff but anyway sarah thank you so much for the time and uh we'll have to check back in again soon thanks for having me hey everyone before we get started i want to tell you about blue wire hustle a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at blue wire hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, 
will help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is, you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So, whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports podcasting experience. Uh, acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com join. Again, that is bwhustle.com dot com slash join check out the description box for this episode to find more but that is bwhustle.com slash join all right we're back on the chase on podcast and i am now joined by someone who has spent the last 24 hours just uh amazed at Mick Cronin's UCLA Bruins of Bruins Report, Mike Regalado. Mike, good morning, sir. How are you? Good, thank you. How are you doing? I'm good. Did you get much sleep last night? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it's funny. Uh, didn't I just didn't think that far ahead and think that you, that I would be working this much late into uh, March. Mm-hmm. Uh, but hey, it, it's all good. Not a Mick Cronin believer this season, uh, Mike. Um, the, I have been, uh, I, I, you know, I'm at Bruin Report, I'm a guy that follows the stats and that's one thing that I've kind of been watching the, um, the ride. Um, but what made it interesting this year is the fact that UCLA loses Dacian Nix point guard before the season. They lose Chris Smith early in the season. They lose Jalen Hill, uh, their best defender in early February. Uh, things weren't looking that great and, but UCLA was still winning. You know, they had that big loss against USC in early February, but they came back and beat everybody. The problem was, and they've been beating everybody close. The problem was UCLA had played the majority of the conference games were against the teams in the bottom half of the uh, the, the Pac-12. They hadn't really been tested. Uh, they didn't play USC. They didn't play Oregon. Uh, they beat Colorado, but then they went to Colorado and then they got beat. So you know, at that point, it was like, okay, maybe it's all catching up with UCLA. But they never got blown out. They, they, they haven't really blown other teams out either, but they've kept it close. And, you know, I, I, I thought that we're, they were a decent matchup against Michigan State, but even I uh, was, I'm like, okay, maybe this, you know, it'll be a good first game. And here we are. <laughs> four games later, four wins, and UCLA is in the Elite Eight. It's it's amazing, and I'm sure the NCAA just loves that we're getting Michigan, uh, UCLA, and the Elite Eight. Just uh, things working out on that front. Um, if you had to explain how UCLA is doing this as a whole in the tournament, how would you explain it? They're just toughing it out. This is a hard-nosed, lunch-pail-to-work type of team. A classic McCrown and uh, staple. Exactly, and... You know, Bruin fans were used to this with Ben Howland, but then everything went away with Ben Howland. It was a more offensive-oriented team with Steve Elf. Uh, and then you have Mick Cronin, who comes in here in his first season, 
they didn't do so well halfway through last season either, then picked it up and just ran through, through the Pac-12 conference. This year, you know, similar uh, patterns, but it was really to no fault of UCLA, as, as I pointed out earlier. You, you lose two important guys midseason. You know, how do you, how do you bounce back from that? Well, Mick Cronin found a way. He adjusted. He he uh, brought in Mac Etienne uh, halfway through the season, a kid that's supposed to be a high school senior right now. Um, he gave he put the ball in Jules' hands, uh, Jules Bernard and David Singleton's hands more uh, when Tiger Campbell needed some assistance. And the team just sticks together, and they don't they don't quit. That's the thing. They keep fighting. They keep finding ways to keep the game close, and that is that's. You know, blowing my mind <laughs> right now. It, you know, especially the way that they're doing it. They had, their scoring margin is 5.3. I think I had it right here, something like, uh, it, it's up to 14 points in, in these last four games in the NCAA tournament. So not only is UCLA winning, but they're doing, they're winning better than they did in the regular season. That's astounding to me. It It's fascinating. Um what were the preseason expectations for this team across the board? What was like the best case scenario when they were looking at uh, what this UCLA team could be in year two of Mick Cronin? Well, I mean, obviously a lot of people had a lot of high hopes, especially when you return. Um, I think it was like 88% of the scoring production. Um, you know, the, the Bruins were picked to finish the Pac-12, uh, to finish first in the Pac-12. And, you know, that was pretty good. It was, it was a little rocky to begin with. They had that loss against San Diego State. Uh, they lost to Ohio State. Um, I think that was the final game of the conference season. So that was kind of a nice measuring stick. And at that point, it was like, okay, so where are the Bruins now? Um, and, and, well, now they're in the Elite Eight. <laughs> they are. I mean, it's... It's just crazy that they're just back, and you see USC is back, and Oregon State is there, and it's... Uh, um, I don't know. We'll we'll get to that in a second. Um, the Alabama game yesterday was it was bonkers. How? Mm-hmm. What was your biggest takeaway from the UCLA side from beating Alabama? It was the fact that they once again, uh, Mick Cronin figured out a way to disrupt Alabama. Um, Alabama is a pretty hot three uh, can be a hot three point shooting team, and they were not in this game. Um, and you know what? It, it was a weird game of runs, too, because UCLA had the lead. Um, <laughs> then um, I think, what was it? I think uh, it was like a 14-point run Alabama had. Yeah. And then the Bruins battled back. And then they take an 11-point lead at halftime. And then Alabama battles back again. <laughs> and it was just... It was a roller coaster ride of emotions, and then obviously they go, um, you know, they head into overtime. That you know, those, that, well, that's not before they get to overtime. Minute. Like why they went to <laughs> overtime? Because Mick Cronin is just how much heat is he getting if Alabama wins this game because of the decision to not foul there, like that? Yeah, he did. Yeah. You know, he made he made a, a decent point because if if they foul and. Uh, and the, the uh, Alabama shooter, by chance, lunges one at, at half court or beyond the arc. Whether, they, whether he's close enough or not, that's still a foul in the act of shooting. So I get that point. But at the same time, you know, lock him up at the baseline. Get that foul. Force, uh, force him to, uh, to shoot two shots. Uh, but, yeah, it was uh, whew. <laughs> coming down to the end there. 
It was. It was. Um, USC's there. Oregon State, UCLA. What uh, mm-hmm. makes them different for people that have not been able to stay up late and watch these three teams uh, all season? What uh, what makes them unique? They just figure out ways to keep fighting. Um, USC obviously has an uber-talented team with uh, Evan Mobley, a guy who's expected to go one, two, or three in the NBA draft. Uh, Andy Anfield uh, has done a good job putting that that roster together i mean the fact that they are another team in the elite eight uh they were close to winning the pac-12 uh oregon state which came up late in the season but you know that that's just a beautiful story because they were um as cbs likes to point out a a lot they were (laughs) they were chosen to pick to 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 finish last in in the pac-12 um but that's the thing too like you said you know not a lot of people stay up late for these games and nobody's watching what the Pac-12 is. And sure, the Pac-12 was beating up on each other, um, but there are some good teams. I mean, he, 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 Oregon's not in there, and I think that was just a weird matchup by the NCAA to not uh, to have two Pac teams go against each other. Um, still pretty pretty early in the bracket, uh, but you know, obviously one had to come out victorious. Oregon was not that, so now we have three good Pac-12 teams. Uh, representing the conference in the elite eight it's it's crazy i don't think anybody had this no matter what you thought about these three different teams especially not oregon state but like just three pack 12 teams oh, in definitely. the uh, elite eight is it's pretty bonkers um mm-hmm. do you think mccronan because ucla quietly changed ad's um we don't know what's going to happen. I mean, there's some real optimism, I think, with Chip Kelly's group at this point. I think they made some progress last year, and I think mm-hmm. they might be turning the corner. Um, Mick Cronin did not get a lot of excitement when he was hired. Um, it wasn't a, a sexy hire. He was like the he was not their first choice, for sure. But here he is in the Elite Eight. Um, we saw what happened with the Alfred era. We saw what happened at the end of the Howland era. Like, Do you think Mick Cronin has a real chance to be the UCLA Bruins basketball coach for a long time. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, um, you see what Ben Howland did. You see how long it took him to do that. Um, Three Final Fours in his first five seasons. Um, So with Bruin fans, especially after Steve Alford, that was kind of a deflating era of coaching. Um, UCLA fans were expecting to, you know, strap in for the long haul. You know, if we get the guy, it has to be, you know, the right fit. And it's also going to take a little bit of time. Well, Cronin has kind of, <laughs> he's, he's up that schedule. So it's, Bruin fans, I think, are, are surprised. They, um, you know, I would say that there were a lot of Bruin fans who, um, who, who really liked the, uh, the hire, especially uh, seeing what he did at uh, uh, Cincinnati. But not a lot of people, uh, like you said, would have expected this. Yeah. Um, and also the defense is just not flashy. Like, they're never going to win flashy. It's not going to be aesthetically pleasing. And I just wonder at UCLA. Because, like, do you know who plays aesthetically pleasing? USC. Like, uh, with the way they play above the rim and everything and the way Anfield mm-hmm. plays. It's, it's a... Yeah. It's a very different, uh, different style. Um, last thing, and we'll wrap up here. How do you think this uh, Cinderella, Cinderella run ends for UCLA? 
I'm not going to discount anything anymore. Okay. <laughs> not, not, not with uh, Mick Cronin. So I do give them a fighting chance. And it's going to be interesting to see two teams who have second-year coaches who have made it to the Elite Eight. Uh, Jawan Howard, I think he's done a really, really good job uh, with, with the Michigan squad. Um, he has. I mean, obviously, they're, they're you know, a highly-seeded team. And they can't overlook UCLA. I mean, that, I, that would be my takeaway. UCLA, I, I would think, would be fine. Big Cronin has a game plan. He'll stick to it. Michigan cannot underestimate UCLA. And, you know, that's something I wouldn't have probably never said about a month ago. <laughs> so yeah. it, just shows, it just shows how, um, how incredible the uh, Mick Cronin can adjust uh, you know, oh, we're down a player? Okay, well, let's figure it out. Sure, it takes a couple games, you know, in season. You don't have a couple games in the tournament, but he's figuring it out, and that's, that's the fun part. All right. Well, Mike, keep up the great work, my friend. Enjoy this week, um, and hopefully uh, UCLA can keep it going. Um, what can we check out from you this week at Bruins Report? Um, just, you know, working on my stats article right now, just quickly, quickly looking at what UCLA did, because you know, just really quickly, last point, they didn't um, have a very good first uh, good first half, you know, not as great second half, but a really, really efficient uh, overtime on offense and defense. That, that was, that was uh, pretty impressive to me. All right. Well, keep and, up the great work, my yeah. friend. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Oh, yeah, and I was just saying, you know, just the normal stuff that, that we're doing, we're doing. I actually have to jump on the conference call right now, so that'll be up in Bruin Report Online in a little while. So, yeah, just just uh, giving, putting out whatever the Bruins are giving us. All right. Well, they're they're giving you grit, um, it seems like. So expect more oh, yeah. of that. <laughs> All the grit. Uh, thank you so much for making the time, Mike. I greatly appreciate it. No problem. Thank you. Have a good day. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.